In today's highly connected and interactive digital world, managing crisis situations can be fraught with challenge. Not only are you dealing with the speed at which negative press can travel, but managing the online influencers and public opinion, which can be quite unpredictable, only further complicates how you decide to respond. So how prepared is your organization for what many refer to as the inevitable PR blowout? I had the pleasure of connecting recently with Nathan Miller, founder and president of Miller Inc., as he shares his take on how you can prepare your organization to handle a crisis. Now, very exciting to talk about crisis management, but the tough part inherently with that is that you're usually not given a heck of a lot of notice, right? I mean, it would be much better if this was the kind of thing that you could schedule your life around, like, I don't know, like booking a dentist appointment, but unfortunately, (laughs) not the case, and usually has a tendency to strike at the absolute worst time. Um, And I I love the quote from Henry Kissinger, who said that there cannot be a crisis next week. My schedule is already full. And I I think that I think a lot of people can relate to that. And so I think one of the key points here is around being prepared. And so what would you suggest in terms of how organizations can prepare themselves for a potential crisis? And then when does it make sense to actually engage with a crisis manager and bring somebody on board to help support Great. Well, uh, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm, I'm really excited to, to to have this conversation and, and share a little bit about crisis management with, with your with your audience. Um, I always encourage my clients to have a very um, detailed crisis plan um, that that thinks through all the likely scenarios um, of a potential crisis, you know, within their organization that that they might face. Uh, Don Rumsfeld, you know, during the Iraq War, he famously said, you know, there's the known knowns, the known unknowns, the unknown unknowns. Um, you can't get to the unknown unknowns, but you can get to the um, to the first two in that category. And so, I do think that with with most organizations, there's a there's a good percentage of the likely scenarios that you can think through, at least in broad, abstract terms, as to what what might happen in terms of a crisis. You know, if you're if you're uh, if you're a real estate company, you know maybe that's issues with tenants, or um, you know if you're um, if if you're a major public figure and you you happen to know there's a piece of information that that could eventually get out, you you know you think about what what your likely response would be. Um, and and when you build out the crisis plan, I think there's there's a few things that are very important to think about ahead of time. Um, one is who are you know who, who are the likely players in your organization who who are acting in either an information gathering or a decision making capacity, and what are the lines of authority in terms of who has to make what decisions and who who's who's tasked with gathering the information that you're going to need. Um, Information uh, and, and you know fuzziness around information and during a crisis is is, is often the, the the biggest bugaboo. The thing that really um, that people have trouble um, when you don't have clear information, um, you 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 can't make uh, the best decisions and you can't communicate to the different constituencies that you need to during a crisis. Um, and the second issue often is is clear lines of authority. Who really has to, who has to make the call and and what's the decision making structure around. Um, Around different different issues, I know you know even in big organizations, Fortune 500 companies, that sometimes this stuff isn't always spelled out so clearly, and it can be a really a challenge uh, when you bring in a crisis manager if they if they need to you know to to have a decision point, um, having that person kind of briefed and, and knowing exactly what how how that might flow. Um, 
you know, in a, in, a, in a crisis plan, you want to map out your different potential liabilities um, and who are the audiences that you really care about and, and what are the channels through which you can reach them in a crisis. Um, all this stuff can be thought about ahead of time. Um, but, and, and, you know, so that, so that when you get that phone call, um, you know, on Saturday night at 11 p.m. And, uh, and, and there's something that's happening, at least there's, you're, you're well onto a running start and you can start to assess the situation and, and make the best determination as for, for your organization. Um, in terms of when you would, when, when does it make sense to engage a crisis manager? I, my answer always is sooner than you think. Um, it's good, um, to develop a relationship with someone um, well in advance uh, anytime that you need a crisis. So you build that relationship, you know who you're likely to call if something happens. People often, I, got, I often get phone calls with people scrambling, kind of trying to figure out what they do because they're blindsided and they never think through the potential uh, risk of, of them facing a crisis and needing a crisis manager. So if you've built those relationships ahead of time um, and you're able to consult with, with someone um, and, you know, immediately go to them, that you often can really uh, – you can you can get back that precious time that you need to respond quickly. Yeah, I wouldn't imagine you want to be googling crisis manager at eleven o'clock on a Saturday night. You'd be surprised <laughs> how many times people do. And yeah, I mean, and 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 the thing is, they're often you know they'll do that or they'll call friends or they'll you know they'll they'll go to their attorney or to their you know people in their network and ask you know what do we do now? But you you want to start having those conversations. Well, in advance and time of any, you know, before you before you really need to use them and have them in your back pocket. Even if you engage someone on a limited basis just to help you think through a crisis plan um, of of your likely scenarios, then you've built that rapport and that relationship so that when you really need them, you'll have them in your back pocket. Yeah, absolutely. How many how many companies have you come across that actually have these plans in place, or rather, how many how many don't? Well, we've built them for many different companies and many different uh, individuals thinking through all, all the likely scenarios. Um, but, you know, my, you know, I, I, I know the folks who we've worked with, and I, I have to assume that they're in the minority. Uh, I think so many of us are just, you know, in our day-to-day -day work, this is, this is often the last thing that you want to think about. You don't have time for it. Um, but it's really important. Um, you know, and I, I think it, it really varies between industries. Uh, some of the more, you know, the bigger the company, I think the more likely it is that they'll have a crisis plan in place for different likely scenarios. And in certain industries, for instance, mining or, um, you know, energy or um, real estate, there's, I think there's a, there's, there's a higher percentage of folks who are, who are in, who, um, who, who do this kind of work. Um, you deal with startups or you know, kind of new tech firms, and this is often the last thing that I think about. And, right, and, and, right. and um, so, I do think that there's a discrepancy there. Right. So, so tell me a little bit about some of the, the the mistakes that you've seen. What are the most common errors that one would make during a crisis? What should you avoid doing? So, I think the first thing is 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 going out to the public with inaccurate or incomplete information. Um, you know, the rule is generally that you want to communicate as quickly as possible without without making that mistake. And I think that there's sometimes a tendency, you know, in the panic of a moment to just want to get out ahead of something and, and having that kind of be the, the impetus in the organization. Um, and then either knowingly or unknowingly, there's a statement that's issued um, or, you know, information that's, that's, that's issued that, that, that's, that's incorrect or misleading or, or um, incomplete that, or, you know, and it, when I say incomplete, it's, you know, it's incomplete, uh, you know, in a way that the public might construe it as intentionally incomplete or misleading. Um, 
the the rule with crises is often that um, your response can can always make things worse, and people are often judged more by their response than than the the thing itself that you're responding to in the crisis. So so this this happens quite a bit, and I and I and the reason for it is is there's generally one of a few reasons that people go out with with the kind of initial response is wrong. I think the first is that there's the politics, the internal politics of an organization, I see again and again can can drive people to to decision points that are suboptimal for the organization. Um, and that often is because going back to, our, to what we were talking about preparing, they haven't really thought through, you know, who are the necessary players to get in the room to think this through? You know, who has the right visibility into the different kinds of information that you'll need? And, and so people will not always make them the best call because they just, they're, they're acting in the heat of the moment. And uh, part of this reason also is the change in communications environment, which we could, we could talk more about. Um, but I think people now don't recognize the nature of how, how information flows and how communication works and how people are going to internalize information. And so you can even get to a bad decision point. Um, you know, another thing that I often see and is is it, it's never a good idea to lie to reporters, <laughs> and I uh, you know uh, and I, and you know and I've seen if you don't have anything to say, it's better not to say anything than to go out with something that's false uh, to a reporter, and and it's something that I often have to educate folks. Um, even if you think it's not provably false, or you know, there, there's a real danger in in putting out inaccurate information to a reporter. Um, and, and then the, 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 another thing that I, that I see often is that people will, will let a story get ahead of them, not recognize the nature of a threat uh, early enough, the, the nature of a crisis early enough, and they sort of put their head in the sand and hope it goes away um, until it reaches a, a boiling point where there's, there's, you know, there's, there's damage that's been done that could have been remedied if you'd, if you'd engaged earlier. So now let's talk a little bit more about what what it's like today. I mean, the the rapidly evolving nature of communications and media has completely changed the way that we handle some of these scenarios, right? I mean, not only does news travel faster and therefore you need to react more quickly, but the public opinion online can be so volatile and, and influential at the same time. I mean, this must have fundamentally changed the way that you are working as a crisis manager. Yeah, it really has. I mean, I've seen the industry totally transform in the last 10, 15 years. Um, there's a number of changes that are, that are fundamental that, that, that change the nature of our work. The first is obviously journalism has changed. The media environment has changed. There's, there's been such a, a hallowing out in the depth of, of traditional media outlets, um, especially the kind of regional newspaper, the major regional newspapers, places like, say, the LA Times. Uh, that used to have a lot more clout and investigative capacity and, and journalists. Um, what I have, so, so I think that that is, you know, and then the rise of a lot of these online outlets, the Buzzfeeds, the Daily Beasts um, of the world, um, and then you know their associated corollaries and the different trade media, et cetera. Um, you know, there's a lot of winners and losers in, in in this new environment. I think it, the the big three, the the Wall Street Journal, the LA, the New York Times, and the Washington Post, I think have more power than they've ever had um, to really amplify a story. Um, and then you've seen this kind of decline of of of, of the sort of reg big regional papers and the rise of these online outlets. Um, another another trend that we often see is 
you know, in the political environment we're in, I, I think that there's a there's a the, on both both kinds of outlets on you know outlets that are that have more of a right leaning bias and those on the left also. I mean, you know, there's a there's a there's more of a political lens than I've ever seen in news, and, and, and um, that's just something that you have to contend with when you're dealing with clients. And the final thing is is something that people maybe don't know about so much, but there, I've seen more and more of a blending of advertorial and editorial. And sort of, there, it used to be that there was this really, really, you know, wall between uh, advertising and uh, an editorial, or at least, much, you know, stronger. You know, sure, sure, advertisers maybe had some sway with papers and things like that. But, but today, more and more, we see paper where there's just there's there's more of a blend, and there's all these, you know, so many outlets, especially the online outlets, are using their native content capabilities. Um, they're selling that as a way to stay afloat. And the way that that gets blended in with with with, um, with traditional, you know, what people see as news, um, is changing. And I think that the, the consumer is having a hard time telling the difference between advertorial and editorial, um, right. and that plays very much into how campaigns are run, both responding to crises and you know when folks are launching offensive campaigns to try to get a message out against a, a business competitor or, or, or you know a cause or whatever. And so that all plays in in a very interesting way. Um, the other thing I'll say is that there's just Obviously, there's a new mechanism to reach your to reach your target audience. It used to be that you could run, you could you could pay for an advertisement in the newspaper, or you could call the editor of the paper and, and hope that they would write your story. But now there's this new, all these new digital tools, um, and and they work in concert with each other. Um, so there's you know, so that social media, um, you know. People are, Wikipedia has become a new battleground in many different crisis efforts. Uh, digital ads, you know, really, uh, in, you know, in different digital engagement strategies, um, and they all work. They work together in a really interesting way, so that uh, folks can get caught flat-footed if you don't understand the nature of this new environment and the nature of, of the threat that that you may face if if you're on the other side um, of of this. I I often walk into situations where folks. Um, Maybe they're in a business dispute, or they're um, or they're facing a lawsuit, or you know, there's some other issue at play where the other side understands the digital environment and they don't. And and people, they just like it's they're still operating as if the environment was 10, 15 years ago. And I that's that's also true for many different you know for certain firms in, in my business. Um, and it's, so I think it's really important to be able to recognize the nature of how this environment has changed, how it can be weaponized against you, and how you can take control of these different tools to get your message out in a different way than you have before. So what advice would you have specifically for attorneys who are hiring, working with, and, and ultimately managing communications pre- professionals in this way? And you know, what should they be looking for in terms of, of uh, individuals to, to bring on board, either permanently? And, and for example, some law departments that we work with actually have their own communications professionals dedicated to them within the law department um, who, can, who can help support these kinds of scenarios. But how can they manage them most effect- effectively? What, what advice would you give? So I work with a lot of lawyers. I'm actually I'm married to one, um, and I worked with them on the yeah on the you know from the business side when I was in government, um, you know, and and in the whole different capacities. I probably work with them more than any other kind of professional. Uh, what I would say to attorneys is hire people that you trust. If you can, retain them in a way that they have privilege. Tell them as much as you can as soon as you can. Um, because that will equip them with the information that they need 
to do the best job that they can for you. And, you know, in this new communications environment that we live in, even more than ever, time is often the difference between success and failure. Um, just, to, you know, another general point, I think I mentioned this earlier, but you, you want someone who understands how the new environment works, but you also want someone who has those legacy, those, those kind of tried and true communication skills that, that extend back to Aristotle, you know, ethos, pathos, and logos. I mean, there are certain things that are, that are, that are tried and true that, that, that really are so important that I see, especially with younger folks coming up who may be, you know, who understand the digital side of things, but they don't, understand, they don't have the writing skills or the, the kind of big strategic principles of, of how, you, how you manage um, comms work um, that is lacking. And I think you really need someone who has a blend of those two things. It's really important. Um, you know, with, with lawyers, specifically someone who does have, you know, working, doing communications work for law firms and lawyers and, you know, their clients, I do think is a very specific skill set. And you want someone who has experience working um, work, working in a, in, a, in a role, you know, in a litigation support role or a, law, a role um, closely with lawyers, because there's a lot of nuance and specific um, uh, – there's a lot of sensitivities that I think come with experience you know, and and you want people who who have a lot of uh, experience working side by side with attorneys and with the law as a as a as like a as a background. Thank you so much for your time today. It was a, a pleasure to connect and and look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you so much for having me.